Good morning. Hey, welcome to Desert Foothills. Everybody, again, in person and online, which I think is typically about twice as many people online as we have it in person. So it's really just an amazing, uh, amazing world we live in. But uh, we're very thankful that you're here uh, to share God's word today. We're reading through Paul's letter to the Ephesians church in Ephesus, and really, in fact, a letter written to, to all Christians uh, to follow. We look, uh, the first half of the book, first three chapters, uh, we see how God engages us with his good gifts. He's near to us. He, he forgives us. He gives us faith and strengthens that faith. And then he equips us, though, this is the last three chapters of the letter, he equips us to do something with it. We don't just receive all of these good gifts and wonderful things and just say, wow, isn't this wonderful? Right? He is also equipping us to share all of those great things with our neighbors. So in verse 8 this morning, Paul writes, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, it's an interesting metaphor that he uses here. Don't miss it. He doesn't say you were once in the dark. That's true. Those Ephesians were once in the darkness of paganism and heathenism and, and, and dark to the, to the will of God. But they were darkness. They were also influencers of the people around them. But now, two of the greatest words throughout Scripture, but now you are light. You are not only enlightened by Jesus, but you are a light that shines to the people around you. It emanates and radiates from you because Christ, the light of the world, is in you. And so, walk as children of light. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And if we're talking about how we are equipped to live in the world today, uh, right here in Ephesians, we see Paul kind of joining together this concept of light and this concept of wisdom right here in chapter 5. It is not wise to do, well, many things uh, in the dark. Has anybody ever stumbled over something in your living room at night when you're letting the dog out? Or has anybody ever stubbed your toe in the middle of the night on the way to the bathroom? There are a lot of consequences for decisions that are made in the dark. Long before electricity, there was a very tight-fisted farmer who very reluctantly loaned some kerosene to his hired hand so he could take the lantern that evening when he went a-calling on his best girl. The farmer said, why in my day, I didn't take a lantern with me when I went a-courting. And the hired hand said, yes, and look what you ended up with. <clears throat> It's not wise, not wise to live in darkness. 
especially when we're not only uh, showered down with the light, but we actually are light now. In the next verse, Paul says, make the best use of the time. Again, do something with everything that God is equipping you with. Because the days are evil. I could spend the rest of the sermon, the rest of the day, giving examples of how evil the days are now. I don't think I'd have any arguments with that. It's horrible. The days are evil. But what I want us to see is that where there's evil, there's opportunity. Where there is great evil, there is great opportunity. The, the, the deeper the darkness, the more powerful the light that we shine into it becomes. The effect that we can have in the more dire situations in our world is, is more than we comprehend. We, we take it for granted, the difference that we can make. And Jesus said, you are salt. You are light. You make a difference. And the days are evil, and the time is at hand. Now, crossing over, uh, uh, this connection between living in the light and, and living with God's wisdom. I want to share with you some Proverbs, and Proverbs chapter 9 specifically. Uh, this is called Wisdom Literature in the Hebrew Scriptures. And uh, chapter 9 starts off, Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. See here, wisdom is personified as a woman who's preparing her home for guests. Now, there are a few experiences that are more wonderful and enjoyable than gathering together with family or friends for a meal. All right, Pastor Jeremy? He never misses a meal. Neither do I. Right? It, it, it's a wonderful thing. And here, wisdom, this, this personification uh, of wisdom in this picture, this great invitation uh, for all to come. Uh, she sends out her young to call everyone and invite them to the meal. It reminds me of Jesus' parable about the wedding banquet where the master of the banquet sends out his servants into the city to invite everyone who is welcome, come, come and feast at our table, enjoy the wedding banquet with my family. Now, there's just three little things I, we need to understand about called wisdom literature, kind of the, the, this, these proverbs in the Hebrew culture, uh, just to make sure we're, we're lining up uh, with the, the what, what God's teaching here. And so when we talk about, we talk about wisdom in the Old Testament, uh, the first thing we understand is that, that wisdom is a relationship, first and foremost even, is a relationship with God and it's a relationship with one another. Of course, ultimately, primarily, it's our relationship with God. It's understanding where we stand before God, how even, how we stand in front of God. It's knowing that we are creatures who are wholly dependent upon God for everything that we have, everything that we need, everything that we, we are. Everything comes from God's open hand, gifted to us. The next thing we understand 
about wisdom is that wisdom is not some theological virtue. Hebrew scripture, wisdom is a person. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, this is verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us, what? Wisdom. Wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness, holiness, and redemption, that is Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom, the divine wisdom. He, he was the one, who the, the, the master worker who was at the side of the Father when the universe was created. It was divine wisdom, the person of Jesus Christ who came to be in the flesh to save us from our sins, to take to the cross all of our darkness, and to shine on us his light, to, to instill the light that wick in our heart. Divine wisdom is Jesus Christ in the flesh. And then number three, we talk about uh, wisdom in Hebrew scriptures. It is not some pie-in-the-sky, transcendental thought. God's wisdom is practical for daily life. Again, we just don't soak up, absorb all of this wisdom from God. We, we do it. We live it out. We shine it out. Now, those who are anti-religious, especially anti-Christian, who often say that religion is a crutch for the weak, for those who are not strong enough to stand up under the hardships of life. There was a German philosopher in the 1800s. His name was Friedrich Nietzsche. And he called Christianity a religion of slaves. And what he meant was that we are too weak to grab life by the horns and wrestle it to the ground. Divine wisdom is no weak need resignation. Divine wisdom is the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ with our relationship that we have with the creator of the universe and knowing that all of life, the good and the bad, Jesus has taken into himself and he has conquered it. And as baptized children of God, we have already died to death. And we have already risen to begin living today our eternal lives. It's already begun for us. What do we fear? Nothing. We are light. Darkness cannot overcome light. It's impossible. Though I will say, at times, Nishi was sometimes right. Because too often, too many Christians do live as if wisdom were just some pie in the sky, transcendental thought, and not the practical daily application that Proverbs tells us it is. We bring dishonor to ourselves and dishonor to God when we act as if 
Salvation depends upon God, but everything else in life depends on my ability. We, we cannot bear up under the hardships and the burdens of this life on our own. Of course not. We dare not overestimate our abilities. But we dare not underestimate who we are now. But now you are light. And God is with us in everything that we do. And again, everything, every burden, every hardship, every darkness has been defeated on the cross. It is finished. And so then, divine wisdom calls out to all of us struggling through the evil days that we live in. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Divine wisdom says, come. Come, I've prepared everything that you need. Everything to prepare you, to equip you to live in this world. You know, divine wisdom said in the Gospel of Matthew, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Live. Live it out. It's a true story. I think this has happened many times, but uh, I'm going to tell you the story that I heard that happened. I was a boat dealer who had sold a very sleek speedboat uh, to a customer. Uh, one day, beautiful, beautiful rig. Uh, and two weeks later, the owner of the boat came back to the shop, and he was disappointed, and he was a little bit angry. He said, you sold me a lemon. Because I put that boat in the lake, and it sits so low in the water that just a little splash uh, would go over the bow I know if we, if we got out on the lake, we went up to speed, it wouldn't take long, it would be swamped in no time. But that's not really a problem anyway, because I can't get up to speed. I turn the engine on, I, I rev the throttle, I can hear, I can see the water churning behind it, and the boat just struggles to putt along across the surface of the lake. Well, the, the, the dealer, the boat dealer, is just flabbergasted. He, he doesn't even understand how this could be. It's, a, it's an exceptional boat, it's a high-quality boat. So, almost reluctantly, he, but he goes with the customer. They go down to the lake to inspect this boat. And he gets there, and it's just as the new owner had said. There it is, sitting at the dock, low in the water. I mean, it wouldn't take anything to, to swamp this boat and flood it. The dealer, he gets in the boat. He's looking under the engine compartments and other canopies. Can't find a leak anywhere. So, okay, we'll try the engine. So he starts up the engine and just roars to life. He starts putting the throttle down to take it out on the lake, and it's just, the, despite the ferocious sound this engine is making, it's struggling just to barely put through the water. He, again, flabbergasted, but he 
He said, I am so sorry. He's very apologetic. As a matter of fact, he, he did. He actually gave this guy the keys to his own personal boat. He said, you, you know, enjoy my boat while I repair or replace this lemon. He goes back to his dealership, gets his truck and his trailer. He comes back to the dock to collect this pathetic boat. He's back in the trailer into the water, and he discovers what the problem was all along. The new boat owner had backed his boat and trailer into the water and then detached the trailer from the truck and set sail in his brand-new boat with the trailer still attached underneath. <clears throat> True. It's happened many times. <clears throat> oh, that God would liberate us from the trailers of sin and self-righteousness from which Christ has set us free, but to which we still cling. How many times have I heard Christians, I've even heard pastors, lament that their lives are no longer filled with joy and power? There is nothing that we can do. The, the remedy to this problem is not going to be found within ourselves. If the fire of passion that once burned bright within us is now reduced to mere coals that barely put out any light at all, embers that don't put out enough heat to keep away the frosty feelings of loneliness in every corner of our soul. There is no amount of worship experimentation that will bring us joy. There is there's no amount of popularity. There's no amount of authority at work. There's no amount of respect from our peers Wisdom cries out to us in our despair with that sweet invitation. Come. Come to the feast that I have prepared for you. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come and feast on God's word in worship and song and prayer and study and devotion. Feast on that which nourishes our soul and strengthens our faith to live in the dark days ahead. There's only two options. There's the way of the world, which says, I'm just going to knuckle up. I'm going to bear it. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to persevere. There's the way of the cross. The way of the cross that says, God has taken care of all of it, and he has given it to us, that victory. And he even, more than that, gives us the ability to share that victory with people around us. And when, when in the world's history have our neighbors needed to know that God has sent a Savior, that there is hope, there is joy and peace to be found 
Not only forever and ever, but we can even have that here and now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding, knowing what God's will is and doing it and putting it into practice is wise. To not do so would be unwise and foolish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, divine wisdom from above, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of the family of faith that we have here and all around the world. We pray for ourselves. We pray for the whole church on earth, the light of the world, that as the world grows darker and darker, our lights may shine brighter and brighter. Not by just what we know, but what we do, who we pray for, who we speak to, who we write a note to, who we go and visit to share that light in the hearts of so many, so many scared, frightened people. Uh, we have the peace that passes all understanding. We pray that will keep our hearts in that peace. In Jesus' name, amen.